Cupshe is a beachwear brand inspired by and created for the most vibrant, fun, and fearless women all over the world. Since 2015, they've built an incredible community of women who move forward in confidence, comfort, and style. From swimsuits to cover-ups, all Cupshe pieces are crafted with love using patterns, textures, and quality fabrics that effortlessly get you from beach to brunch. They are committed to staying true to their mission, to empower women everywhere to look and feel their best in quality, stylish, affordable swimwear. Cupshe products are designed to fit and flatter a variety of body shapes and sizes. With timeless one pieces, lush floral prints, or cheerful bright bikinis, there's something that'll make every woman feel beautiful inside and out. Find the swimsuit of your dreams by visiting the link in this week's episode description. Dog TV is on a mission to improve the lives of dogs everywhere with their unique streaming service for dogs to provide entertainment and alleviate stress and anxiety throughout the day. Their science-backed programming features playful animated sequences, dogs, and other animals designed to prevent boredom and provide mental stimulation. This is a great service for pet parents who are beginning to go back into offices and worry about adjusting their furry friends to their absence. Dog TV is available on several devices, including iPhone, Apple TV, Android, Roku, Fire TV, and Xbox One. Click the link in this week's podcast episode description to try Dog TV free for three days. You may choose to continue your subscription for $9.99 a month or save money with a $60 yearly subscription. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Shopa. Oh, gosh. So I have had uh, an interesting week. Um, Monday, I had my first run-in with dissociation, which is really weird. I felt like I was in a dream state all day. Like, I was just kind of, like, sleepwalking. Um, And I never did like I don't recall experiencing dissociation before so it was a little strange um I feel very fortunate that I have friends who are really understanding and pretty well versed in mental health and so I was able to talk to one of my friends who for a while was dissociating pretty regularly as a result of trauma and so I was able to tell her about it and it felt very validated And she also gave me some tips to ground myself more if it happens again, which was really great. Um, So while it really sucks that we both are having this experience, I'm glad to know that I'm not alone. And um, yeah, so I sent a message to my doctor and essentially said the mental state that I'm currently in is not sustainable and asked for a, a psyche valve. Because uh, I've been questioning for a while. Um, I don't think that it's just anxiety and depression that I have. I definitely think it's something more along the lines of like ADHD, potentially um, autism spectrum, given what I know about it and the experiences of people that I'm close to who have been diagnosed um, into adulthood. Because a lot of people who are studied for DSM diagnoses are primarily cishet white males and so females a lot of times are not extensively studied and so we're learning more and more about what it's like to be a female with ADHD and how we might present with different symptoms than our male counterparts which leads to a lot of a lot of us not getting diagnosed or getting misdiagnosed or not getting diagnosed until later in life so yeah all that to say I've been feeling pretty funky lately And I'm hoping that I'll be able to get in to see somebody soon. I'm still going to my therapist, um, but I would really like to get a thorough evaluation done um, because these are, you know, they're issues that I've been dealing with my whole life. I think it's time that my, my body and my brain are just saying we can't do this anymore. We've survived this long and now, now we need help. And that's what I'm hoping to get from an evaluation. And if it comes back and says that, you know, I don't have anything other than standard anxiety and depression, then, like, I'll figure out how to deal with it. But I would just hate to continue going on struggling 
if there's a if there's a better solution. Anyways, let's get into this week's guest. Uh, before I get too far into it, uh, I do want to let you know there is a link in this week's podcast episode description. I'll also be linking to it from my link tree. Um, so if you're ever on my Instagram and you click on um, my the link in my bio, that's going to take you to my link tree, and I'll have this link there as well. Um, but it is to a survey for the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, and our guest goes further into detail on it, but it's essentially asking questions regarding health at every size and um, how how we treat folks in bigger bodies. So if this is something that you're passionate about, please go and fill out the survey. Um, I definitely will be doing so. It's open until March 25th, 2022. I mean, it's not, I, I say it in this interview too, it's not the most efficient process, but it's all we've got and the world is pretty much garbage. So if we can do something to try to make it better, let's do it. Uh, let's let's talk about this week's guest. She is fabulous, and I had so much fun talking with her and geeking out about body liberation and health at every size. Um, just phenomenal. I do want to offer a trigger warning. Uh, eating disorders are mentioned pretty frequently in this episode. Um, this week's guest is a dietitian who works with a lot of clients who have disordered eating. So if this is a topic that you are sensitive to, please do what is right for your mental health and take care of yourself. Also want to point out, um, our guest uses the the acronym HAES, and it stands for Health at Every Size, so H-A-E-S. Um, so she mentions it a couple of times in here. If you hear it, that's, um, that's what she's talking about, so I just wanted to let you all know that really quick. But let's get into the juicy stuff. Our guest this week is an anti-diet dietitian. She works with folks uh, primarily in, in larger bodies and those who have disordered eating. Um, she was an absolute delight to talk to. I had so much fun geeking out with her. Um, she's also a body image coach. She is the owner of Rad Love Nutrition and the podcast host for Rad Love Radio. And she's got a lot of really cool projects. And so I'm really excited. And I hope that um, you will all check her out and give her a follow. All of the links to all of her amazing projects are in this podcast description. Um, so check her out. But first, you got to hear this amazing interview with this week's guest, Amy Rapone. Well, welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. I am so excited. I've been looking forward to this conversation for, what, weeks? Months? I don't know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so it's really great. Uh, you work on something that I'm super passionate about. And so I'm really excited to get your perspective on a lot of things. But first off, can you please tell us a little bit about your work with Rad Love Nutrition? Sure. So again, my name is Amy Rapone. I am a, I consider myself an anti-diet dietitian uh, and body liberationist. I uh, started Rad Love Nutrition a little bit more than a year ago now after working in eating disorder care in an inpatient setting for an extended period of time. Unfortunately, that unit ended up closing and I decided that uh, this is the work that I really love to do as a dietitian and I wasn't about to say goodbye to it. So when the uh, my position, unfortunately, uh, got absolved. So I decided to take the time and it was in the middle of the pandemic when it happened. And so I decided to jump right into entrepreneurship and start my own private practice. My private practice, generally, uh, I like to focus on people with eating disorders and people with eating disorders who are in larger bodies. Uh, I am myself consider myself a fat woman. And really enjoy working with this population because I've lived it and I love helping people see the other side of the norm of what we see that's expected out of people in fat bodies. Yeah, for sure. And it's such incredible work. And I'm so glad that we have people like yourself who are part of this movement. Um, and so one Thank thing you. that I wanted to ask, I know you use the word body liberation. Uh, mm -hmm. And I also use that terminology, um, but I'm wondering if you can explain a little bit what body liberation means. Sure. So I actually have a whole podcast about that. Um, <laughs> so body liberation uh, to me is, f I think freedom is a really big part of it. 
Uh, a lot of that comes with access and there's a lot of pieces to the body liberation puzzle that are outside of our own control. Um, and so for me, it's a lot about breaking down the systems that disable people from being able to engage in their lives with the expectations of society on what bodies are meant to be. So when we consider you know, body liberation, fat liberation, the point for me is to help people find what that answer means to them because it may not be the same as mine. I have a bit of a advocate blood running through my veins. <laughs> and so, you know, that's the kind of thing that I want to break down systems. And I see that as the, the be all end all of whether I'll see it in my lifetime or not is a whole nother ball game. But I see that as something that I want to strive for to make a better world. And for some people that may not be it. And that's totally okay. It can be a personally individualized thing to make their life better. If that's not something that, um, they really want to be a part of their journey. However, when we have those of us who do, I really encourage it in them if we can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so, I feel like powerful to, to take back that ownership and say like, I am fine with my body. You know, we don't, mm -hmm. we always have to love it. Like there Absolutely. are days that I don't love my body or I don't love something about it, but I can still respect it and appreciate it. And so yeah. I feel like shifting that thought from like, because, you know, capitalism and the patriarchy and, and all of that wants us to hate our bodies because mm -hmm. that makes them money. And yeah. it shame is a very powerful motivator. It sure is. But taking back one's power and saying like, I'm so much more than my body. Mm -hmm. And like, regardless of what it looks like, I'm worthy of respect. Like yes. my body is worthy of respect. It's so powerful. And I hope that we will see more people start to shift towards that dynamic. Um, and I think it comes from work like yours and from the media, you know, seeing people of all different types of sizes, abilities, like colors, like everything. Mm -hmm. we, we need to see this. Yeah, it's so important. Um, so thank you for sharing that definition. I want to get a little bit of your of your journey story, I guess, what sure. led to you wanting to become a dietitian? Sure. So that's the, that's the, that's the hard one. <laughs> so I, dietitian was kind of not something that I went into right after high school. Uh, I went to college for business at first and uh, started skipping school when I took my first business class and kind of took a little bit of a break from college for a little bit, got married Um and went back to school after I got married being like, okay, well, I did this thing. Now I have to figure out like, how are we supporting ourselves going forward as, as, a, uh, as a couple? And so I uh, went back to school for dietetics because I've always lived in a fat body and I wanted to fix me. I thought that if I could get a degree in what was wrong with me, then maybe I could, seeing dietetics at that time as purely, you know, weight loss and that's what dietitians do i thought that i could get the answer to figure out why can't i be in a smaller body so of course during that time uh it was probably a, during my schooling was where i probably found the most uh disordered part of my eating uh, ever in my life because during the day when I was at school I tried to be the perfect fatty as it's called doing all the right things exercising eating what I was supposed to be eating which was quite a bit less uh, in front of my peers and then at night uh, total binges total binges staying up late not really taking care of myself in the best way otherwise um, really horrible uh, anxiety attacks uh, depression all those things. In addition to uh, my father being diagnosed with cancer during that time too. So there was a piece uh, of me throughout my dietetics career that started to change when my dad was diagnosed because I wanted to learn more how to help him um, and how to feed people who literally didn't want to eat anymore. Um, and unfortunately, my dad did pass away uh, before I was able to finish becoming a dietitian. But he he was a really big piece to that puzzle. During my internship, uh, I was placed in this lovely community hospital that I actually still work in to this day. It's not 
the most haze friendly. It's not anything that falls into that. However, I had a lot of narrative in my head during my schooling of if I am going to be a dietitian, my body has to change. And I expected others in the field to think that of me as well. However, when I worked for this hospital, I never got any inkling from my supervisors that I couldn't do this job because of my body. I know that there's a lot of people who did not have that same experience. And I'm incredibly privileged to have been able to have a positive uh, interaction there. During my time there, I worked both at the hospital and in oncology uh, for a little while. I worked in sports nutrition for a little while. And then after having my babies, because I, I had my babies uh, a little bit after becoming a dietitian, I finally had my schooling out of the way. And then I finally started a family. With my first daughter, I came up a lot of medical bias uh, when it came to what my options were around birth and had a fabulous doula who was able to help me kind of process that. And then knowing going in with my second child, okay, this is, I am in this body because I also didn't want to have children in the body that I was in until it became the point where I, well, I can't wait till I'm 50 something to have children. So it's now or never kind of situation. So when my second came around, I knew strongly, this is the body I'm going to be in. It hasn't changed yet. It's likely not going to change anytime soon. I still ended up with a nice healthy baby the first go around. Let's, you know, give it another go. And after having him, something really shifted in me that made me want to do something different. I found Christy Harrison's podcast, Food Psych, and that really changed the game for me. Uh, she would talk about intuitive eating and uh, eating disorders and social justice. And my heart was doing like backflips. I was psyched. Uh, hence the name, <laughs> now that I think about it. Um, and so be I was working full-time at the hospital at this point, seeing medical fat bias constantly on a regular basis, um, becoming increasingly angry as one does when they kind of have the glass shatter on them about what this really looks like. Uh, and knowing that it's not just you, like it's not just you when you show up to the doctor and you feel this, like maybe I'm perpetuating some of that and I don't want to do that anymore. And so an opportunity for me came out to uh, work in eating disorder clinic, uh, inpatient unit. Um, and I was like, okay, it may not be a haze aligned eating disorder clinic or inpatient unit yet, but I can help it get there. Or at least that's the kind of care that I'm going to give. And if anybody wants to fight with me about it, we're going to fight about it. Um, and so uh, I fortunately was able to take that role, worked with amazing dietitians and great, great other clinicians to uh, kind of see that program for about a year and a half. Absolutely fell in love with the work, seeing a lot of the most difficult cases um, that I've ever seen or even could have imagined. Um, and then when the unit closed, as I had mentioned earlier, uh, I knew I like, this is me, this is my work. And so I'm grateful for the evolution that came through me being a dietitian because it was truly a 180. Yeah, yeah. And it's so interesting. Um, there are actually a lot of parallels between both of our stories. So I, when I graduated high school, uh, gained quite a bit of weight, you know, as one does. And so I started learning about nutrition and calories in, calories out, working out, um, all that, all that. And I was able to lose weight. And I was like, oh, well, if I can do it, I want to help other people do it. Again, so very focused on like weight loss and then went through like my whole my whole nutrition career. And it's it's interesting because it seems like everybody that I've spoken to who goes through the um, the, the same similar programs gets the same information. Talking about oh, yeah. BMI, talking about calories in, calories out, shit that we just know doesn't work, right? Yes. <laughs> So yeah, I I definitely did the similar things where it's like, oh, I eat this and I and I work out this much and you know just you have to you feel like you have to be perfect. Absolutely. And like I I've always considered myself to be like fairly mid sized, and then you know seeing people who are athletes and seeing people who are very very thin, mm -hmm. I was like I'm the outlier here and I'm doing yeah. something wrong. And then I had that was something I had to learn to release and similarly. Uh, my dad was diagnosed with oral cancer and it and it killed him. And he was such like a, oh, I call him a white man foodie. 
Like <laughs> mine too. My dad was too. <laughs> like loved pizza, burgers, Taco Bell, and like I'm like, don't get me wrong, I love all that stuff too. But <laughs> I try to think mm-hmm. I'm my taste's a little elevated. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um and he he couldn't eat, you know? So and I just like saw how miserable it made him because he was like somebody who would be eating and thinking about his next meal and he would like Mm -hmm. get excited thinking about dinner and like to see that stripped away yes was so eye-opening and I was like oh my god there are so many people out there who are depriving themselves and we don't know what burger is going to be our last one yes like it just completely shifted my mind and I was like to hell with it also we don't really know what's going to happen like i could get hit by a bus tomorrow and like how many how many times have i wanted pizza and gotten a salad instead Mm. like what's the point so yeah that was a big a big shift for me and i just think it's so interesting and then yeah i found intuitive eating i found health at every size and I'm still angry about it. I'm still angry. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that like diet culture has found its way into into the medical care that we receive. Mm-hmm. And I can go in for a you know a sore throat, and somebody can say, "Well, it's because you're fat." <laughs> I'm like, sure. I'm like, it's just so terrible. Um. So yeah, I'm super glad that you found that evolution. I imagine that working with folks with eating disorders has to be emotionally taxing for you yes i i'm an enneagram four and so for those who don't know what that means i am an emo and a cancer so i am an emotional roller coaster when's your birthday (laughs) i'm june 28th oh my gosh uh my best friend's birthday is uh is it june 28th it's either the 28th or the 27th i'm july 2nd and so like cancer all around <laughs> yes yeah. yeah so emotional roller coaster i get i'll fly from being depressed to uh totally excited about something in less than five minutes and mm-hmm. so haven't been diagnosed with anything along with that <laughs> however uh usually it's manageable so when we kind of think about eating disorders and how emotional they can be because they come from you know, they can start from so many different things and trauma being especially one of those things you have to kind of keep yourself in check and these are these two words that I absolutely live by by all of my work and eating disorder work definitely solidified that with me was compassion and curiosity and never blame never shame and figuring out what is going to be the thing that's going to help people and while in an inpatient unit it was difficult because you know again we were it was life or death situations a lot of the times and so there were some things that being a firm believer in autonomy were really really difficult ethically too because you want to make sure that somebody has the autonomy to make these decisions decisions for themselves however if we don't step in because of this mental health disorder that they're dealing with it could kill them it's really it's i think uh opiate abuse may be one of the things that overstepped it but still eating disorders is one of the only mental health disorders that is taking people's lives at the rate that it is it's one of the only mental health disorders that has a physical component to it where it's really affecting people in that way in in a medical capacity which is why it's so difficult to treat because uh, medical providers don't often get education in eating disorders unless they seek it out psychiatrists don't often get Uh, the education piece when it comes to the medical side of things unless they seek it out. And so we were very fortunate to have a psychiatrist on board with us who really did both. And she was incredible. Uh, And so I was able to learn so much there and figure out the why. And so that's what I really hold on to, too. And when I can understand and learn the body systems that are happening in the book Sick Enough by Jennifer Gaudiani, who owns the Gaudiani Clinic in Colorado, um, she's one of the only internists who works with eating disorders um, at the degree that she does, is an incredible book to learn the ins and outs. If you are somebody who's struggling with an eating disorder, I maybe don't recommend it. But if you have family who's just trying to figure it out or clinicians who's just trying to figure out like, what is this whole thing about? It's an incredible book for learning. Um, But it definitely, uh, it definitely was difficult. 
and I was exhausted by the end of every single day, but I loved every second of it. And that's how I knew, like, this is it. This is it. Yeah. And yeah, it is. It's so important. And it's important to have clinicians who are educated in the signs of looking for an eating disorder. Absolutely. Um, Because I feel like they're so much more prevalent and they're underdiagnosed. Would you agree Mm -hmm. with that? Oh, 100%. (laughs) Um, Yeah, most, uh, especially when it comes to uh, only screening when we notice something physical about someone's body and not around their emotions. Again, we can't forget that eating disorders are a mental health disorder. It's more about the thoughts. It just comes with a side of medical issues. So when we think of people not expressing some of those things to their providers, they oftentimes go unchecked. Or (laughs) their medical providers are colluding with their eating disorder because they're in a larger body. And so the things that we often tout as uh, negative behaviors that people with eating disorders in smaller bodies do are often applauded for people in larger bodies despite how much they might be starving themselves and or starving themselves i'm a firm believer that binge eating oftentimes not every time um, oftentimes comes from restriction and causes this big pendulum swim swing from one end to the other And so when we don't recognize that and we don't ask the questions to recognize that and just make assumptions, it's lazy medicine and people aren't asking the right questions, never mind screening. I actually had the opportunity to, um, for my master's degree, I led a class for residents at my local hospital who had were fortunate enough to have rotations through the eating disorder unit because we had it, which is a very rare option for many residents anyway. So when we're able to educate people and when I ask them, who knows that there's even an eating disorder screening tool, not a single person raised their hand. And that's how I know. (laughs) That's when I was like, all right, we're starting from scratch here. (laughs) Um, And you know, I can only hope that we made some kind of impact. Of course, I threw a little haze in there, uh, health at every size, just so we can make sure that you're aware of this topic as well. I've, I know you've heard of it before. So if you work in my hospital system later on, I know you've heard of it and we will bring it up if need be. So, I, you know, searching for those opportunities can be hard when you're a burnt out medical provider. And I totally understand that. But we also have to consider the care and Uh, respect that we're providing to our patients. Yeah, absolutely. What, what has been your experience like working with doctors who may not be as familiar with the health at every size philosophy? Well, oftentimes, I'll be honest, I am, I'm a firm advocate for my patients. If I need to talk, if I'll need to call a doctor's office or speak with, um, the doctor themselves or the the office manager, depending on if it's like a nursing issue or something along those lines, I absolutely will. Although my main goal is to give my patients the tools to become an advocate for themselves because they're going to be the one in the office holding that boundary. And so I love teaching opportunities and I love being able to do that, especially when it comes to psychiatrists and people who are because uh, I work a lot with mental health in the hospital setting that I work in right now. And so passing that along for sure, or just making changes my own way when I talk to my clients so that, again, they know what to ask for. Do you find that a lot of medical providers are receptive to the health at every size philosophy, or do you ever receive um, some kind of pushback? It depends on the situation. I think a lot of times I'm often respected as my uh like you're the one who talks about food you know that's fine you know if that's what you want to do I'm not going to push back about that however there's some who uh, are not on board with it or trying to learn with it and having a hard time because it goes against a lot of what they've learned uh over the years that our weight impacts our health in so many different ways when really it is very likely that it's the effects of access and medical stigma and bias and all of the things that come along that might be addressing that too. And the behavior, because it's not, the weight is not the behavior that's affecting whatever these outcomes are. That's not the point. The point is, what is the person doing that might be, you know, affecting these outcomes? 
and what is what are their genetic background what are what is their family background like what is their home like life do they even have access to food because those questions are not always asked in the doctor's office and those can make it incredibly you know that's where you know haze is wonderful and sometimes it doesn't come from that argument from me sometimes it's like yeah but these are the other things that we need to consider are we addressing these things because these are the things that are actually going to have an impact on their health. Because this person isn't just a person. They're a person who has this extraordinary, you know, more than just this five minutes that you talk to them for. You're right. We can't make those judgments on the short amount of time that we're talking to somebody. We have to know all these other things that might be impacting their health. And I could talk about that forever in many spirals. <laughs> I'll slow down there, but yeah. <laughs> I I feel that. Yeah, I often get um frustrated with it seems, you know, how not holistic um and not really life-centered mm -hmm. medical care tends to be. Yeah. Um, and I think about it even from, you know, my own perspective where I have mental health struggles. I have depression and anxiety and probably some other things as well. I'm working on getting an evaluation. But on days when like I'm dissociating or days when I feel like I can barely get out of bed, mm -hmm. cooking is not an option for me. Right. My, my full focus is going towards keeping me alive, mm -hmm. staying alive and you know doing regular human things which i find absolutely exhausting so food is the last thing that's on my mind and whether that means i'm forgetting to eat or i'm quickly heating up a frozen meal like that's something that i've had to had to switch to recently is saying like i'm not cooking but i know that i need to eat so like i'm gonna get some frozen meals and then at least i've got something yeah. in me like and that's fine it, because i know that like that's doesn't have to be always what I'm doing but right now at this point in my life is what I need and yeah. I think that people are so quick to say well why don't you just do this why don't you just do that try this try that without fully understanding people's time and ability limits mm -hmm. and that's a real struggle for so many people absolutely absolutely that's actually a really big part that I work with with my clients is making a kind of taking them having them take a step back and just look at okay but what is going to be nourishing to you right now and really living in the pre present moment not thinking about the shame of this particular thing happening what is going to be nourishing to you right now how are we going to get it to you what is going to be the financial opportunity what is the energy opportunity because all of the mental struggle that comes along with eating disorders too that alone is exhausting. And so yes. sometimes we have to rely on convenience foods that are so vilified in our society when they're there for a reason. Let's utilize them. They're still going to give you nutrition, despite whether you think so or not. <laughs> um, and so we have to break that down a lot. And it's interesting. I feel like there's so many, especially on social media, who are like policing other people. And mm. so they're very quick to say like, oh, I can't believe you're eating that. Why don't you just do this, that or the other? And it's like, you do not know my life. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah, I think you you mentioned earlier, like curiosity and compassion. Mm -hmm. That's that's key to everything. I mean, that's empathy, right? Yes. Like, yeah. it's just it's just realizing that we all have shit going on. And a lot of times it's not outwardly noticeable. Yeah. And in general, let's just try not to judge people so much. <laughs> Truly. Yes. Um, Unless they're causing harm, then I'm going to judge them a little bit. <laughs> right. Right. Yes. That's that's problematic. But like yes. if they're just trying to live their life, like, yeah. let them be. It's none of yeah. your business. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering from your own perspective, what barriers did you have to overcome to accept health at every size? Sure. So once the glass kind of shattered for me, really it was career-based. So that was the big part for me is that going into work miserable every single day, knowing that I was going to be coming up against this stuff that I no longer believed in. And in my own 
body and my own life. Certainly, again, I saw that so much when I had my babies. I think so far medically, you know, I went for a very long time not really going to the doctor anyway because or just going to a walk-in clinic who they didn't usually care about my weight. They were just there to serve. So I really like urgent care and walk-in clinics because they don't really care. They they see you. This is the one issue. Here's how to fix this one issue. And so when it comes to having like regular uh, physicals and things, I, I believe in them and I think that people should do them. However, um, it adds a different layer because that person wants to see change in you ongoing. That's their optimal outcome for you versus fixing the current problem as it is. And so I went a lot of years without having a primary care provider for a couple different reasons. First, um, when I was younger, before the Affordable Care Act started, I didn't have access to insurance because my BMI was too high. I actually had an incident where I worked with, I was working for an independent small business. She wanted to get me health insurance. I couldn't get it because we were a small business because of my BMI. And so out of the kindness of her thought, heart in that moment, she felt like it would be best to help me change my weight so I could get access to health insurance. So at that time it was great. It was wonderful. My wedding was coming. It all like made sense to me in the moment. She got me a trainer. She got me a nutritionist and paid for that instead, which fine and great. I think it was not in the moment. It felt like she's going to change my life. Right. And so I was incredibly grateful for it in this moment, but how sad that instead of getting proper medical care, the only thing that I had to focus on was diet and exercise instead of actually getting medical care in case I was hurt or injured or developed a chronic disease or any of those things that could have come up that exercise and diet aren't going to do anything about. Um, and then uh, I had a really great provider for a little while. Uh, and then unfortunately, it, his wife was a dietitian. Um, and at that time, really supportive, listened, knew me. And so kind of knew my deal was never an issue. Actually, my whole family saw him for a while until left the practice. Um, and then since then, I haven't really had a primary care and I've been waiting six months now for uh, my appointment that I have with somebody that I am hopeful will go well. I'm not even going to be a hundred percent on board necessarily. And then uh, I'll, you know, but I still don't have my appointment till June 28th on my birthday oh my um, to see them. So, you know, when it comes to access and even just setting up appointments and becoming a new patient with anyone is ridiculous. And so trying to find a provider now who like might understand what I'm throwing out there, it's a risk, especially waiting this amount of time. Um, and I have some other options in case they don't work out. But with my current insurance, my options are limited because... I have to stay within network at, or pay a whole lot of money. So yeah. Hayes, and that's how Hayes is really impactful for me because Hayes to me, even more so than just being weight neutral is about access for people. Access is a huge, huge issue around healthcare. And that's the biggest thing that I wish I could have a whole lot more impact on. I try to educate the best that I can about it so that people can help understand, but it's, it's hard. It's really, really hard. Yeah. And I think too, like it can be hard even for patients to advocate for themselves sure. in the moment because we're taught like we, you know, we respect doctors. They know what's best. We don't, we don't question them. And so um, several months ago, I, I actually interviewed um, a physician who got her master's in public health and, and nutrition and is now like an anti-diet doctor. And I'm like, yes. Um, yes. But she was like, you don't have to be weighed if you're going in for most things. No. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I remember the first time I did it, I walked into a clinic. I, I walked in there to get my, it was a new doctor. And because I had an insurance change and I walked in for to speak with them regarding like my antidepressants and they wanted to weigh me and I said mm. no I don't I don't want to be weighed and they really pushed on me and I was just like how insensitive is that yeah like when somebody's already feeling not great and we know that like there's still so much stigma around weight like that could have caused way more harm and mm -hmm. um, 
so I, I really like stuck, stood my ground and like also at that time because I wasn't feeling great I just wasn't in the mood for a lot of bullshit so I was like no yeah. I'm just not doing it and I could actually hear the medical assistant mocking me in the next mm-hmm. room like how are you supposed I've to I've had know? that similar experience when when I was pregnant isn't yeah. that awful I'm mm-hmm. like how am I supposed to get the right treatment when they don't know my weight um, I don't know, maybe because they can trust my experience. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and it's not, right, when it comes to, <laughs> oh boy, when it comes <laughs> to uh, antidepressants and stuff too, because you'll hear this all the time when they're trying to try out different things, they want to know if it's going to have an impact on your weight. And so a lot of times that will change the, for a few different reasons, right? So that might change what their recommendation is. They have a lot of people who come into their office and say, I don't want to be on this medication because it makes me gain weight. And so because of that, I think this also, you know, because when we can look at it and know that it gains, if somebody gains weight from it, it's not a big deal. We know what the cause is, most likely. It's not anything else. And then, or at least likely. Um, so when they hear that narrative so much, right, would they want to consider what might be the the options and knowing that, well, did they gain weight from last time they were here or any of that? And sometimes too, just wanting a baseline. So I have complicated feelings around weight. I don't believe that people should weigh themselves regularly. I do think that there might be some benefit to, if you do go for regular physicals, getting a blind weight on something like a clear step uh, scale where the patient is not going to see the weight and it doesn't come out on a printout when you give it to them at the end because that's the part that's coming up for me a lot lately. I think uh, there's certain uh, electronic medical records that when you get your kind of after the appointment um, description or whatever, um, the weight is written right on there. Even after they've had this conversation of, I don't want to know what my weight is. I you know, you can check it if you want to, but please don't tell me what it is, which I think is totally fine. I think that noticing patterns over time can be important, especially as people get older and they don't maybe recognize if their weight is changing and not even necessarily as they get older, but just being able to note patterns and just looking at it as a data point and not a cause to something. That's the approach that needs to change. You know, just as someone's going to check a blood pressure, you know, I think that it can be a data point to just monitor, um, just to kind of see basing any kind of interventions off of that, unless we have concerns with like significant weight loss that isn't being noticed or a great way to screen that if somebody is losing a significant amount of weight, are they trying? Why are they trying? What's the motivation there? And that can spark a conversation into are people really nourishing themselves? Um, or vice versa. So it, it's I'm really complicated about it. I haven't weighed myself in forever. Um, again, haven't been to the doctor in a while. Uh, but, you know, I think it's not something that has to be done weekly. I don't think it has to be done monthly. I don't think it has to be done quarterly, maybe once a year when you go for your physical, just so we can monitor a trend. Um, but again, I don't think that the patient necessarily needs to see that. But also one of the things that I like to work on with my clients is helping them know what their weight is and get comfortable with it because it might be an inevitable fact someday that you're going to find out what that number is. So when we keep anything a secret, um, even if it's from ourselves, being able to look at the number and not spiral because of it and just accepting it for what it is, I think can also be a really big uh, therapeutic work as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think if we could get BMI out of out of the office, yeah, that needs to go. <laughs> that would be so yeah. life changing. Because yes. yeah, I mean, it, and we know that it doesn't work. We know it doesn't work, but yet, like medical professionals, dietitians, like everybody is still like relying on BMI when we know it's nonsense, not rooted in any kind of actual like science. And yeah. I mean, could could make the jump that it uh, stems from racism uh, <laughs> quite easily. Not a jump, straight up. <laughs> yeah. Straight um, up. Uh, but yeah, people are peddling this as fact, and they're people that we are supposed to trust, um, mm-hmm. which is really frustrating. Yeah. Um, That's a system that has to go, uh, 
especially. So I don't think that tracking someone's weight, do we need to put them into a category because of it, nor do we need to learn what that category might mean for someone's intervention because of it. I think, again, tracking it for data purposes to see if there's significant changes. If we are looking at someone because they are in a certain BMI and making assumptions based on them because of that, the only reason why they're doing that is for research so that they can continue to make money on certain other things. Otherwise, it really wouldn't have a purpose anymore. And it, it's been debunked so much and so many times by like, like mainstream stuff. It's incredible to me. And I think that the only reason why it really holds on is A, insurance and money. Because insurance reimbursement significantly increases when they're able to as many diagnoses as they can add to something and you know it just gives them that extra kickback to say oh we worked on this essentially causing harm and telling someone that they need to significantly lose weight and move more not asking any other questions about it but it was addressed and the checkbox was checkbox was checked off and so now i can get a reimbursement for that diagnosis that is a big problem and insurance, I think, in general, is an incredibly big problem and needs incredible reform along with healthcare in general. Yes, these are the systems that give me much anxiety. <laughs> and like, I constantly go to my therapist and I'm like, everything's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but I, I am hopeful that um, you and providers like you and, you know, podcasts like this are to change the narrative and so hopefully we will we will see change in the future it just it takes it takes a lot it takes so many people who are rebelling against what we've been told is true when we know that it's a lie so Please. uh currently right now there is actually uh, a uh and the academy of nutrition and dietetics which is essentially essentially our professional organization who overlooks dietitians and dietetics, um, our, DT, uh, our DTRs, excuse me, who determine what the guidelines are when treating people with medical nutrition therapy. So right now they have an open forum um, and I am going to give Kelly the link to this if anyone is interested and has the emotional gusto to do so because it can take a lot. They recently put out their guidelines for the evidence analysis library uh, on how we should be treating people with obesity and overweight. And I say that only to define that and that it means nothing otherwise to me. One of those effects being significant calorie restriction. So a trigger warning for anybody who does look at those guidelines, as well as the not suggested use of health at every size and weight neutral care in dietetics when working with people in larger bodies for their reasoning uh, that it's not going to affect someone's weight. Absolutely on board for that. It's not. Um, however, when they say that it will not improve cardiometabolic markers or quality of life, I have a very big problem with that because I've seen that and I have so many people who have experienced that. And we have a lot of research outside of just anecdotal research that says that as well. And so uh, I will ask if you have it in you, the link will be down in the show notes. Um, yes, so absolutely. that if you want to uh, take part in that survey and have a passion towards uh, health at every size or weight neutral care, if that's impacted you in any way, please feel free to fill that out and let them know that uh, these recommendations are not okay. Amy, do you know how long that survey is open for? Open till March 25th. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, well, we're coming up on time and uh, you've been so wonderful and I really enjoyed talking you with too. you. I feel like I feel like I could continue talking to you for hours, but <laughs> I respect your time. Um, so I just have one final question for you, and that sure. is how can we follow you and support your work? Sure. So I um, I'm on Instagram way too much. Um, so you can always catch me over there. I'm at radlove.nutrition. I also have so I do individual uh counseling both for um nutrition and for body image coaching um and typical medical nutrition therapy again primarily working with people in larger bodies that's kind of my 
those are my people. And so uh, doing that as well as I run a book club quarterly. Uh, we currently have our winter book club running right now. It's a whole lot of fun. Um, right now we're reading Fat Chance Charlie Vega by Crystal Maldonado. It's our first uh, YA fiction book that we've done in book club and it's been really fun. Um, but a lot of times we cover uh, some of the more tough book. So we did what we don't talk about when we talk about fat by Aubrey Gordon. And we did uh, Deshaun L. Harrison's belly of the beast, which was a big deep dive, really hard book, but really great to be able to process with people. Um, so I do that quarterly. And then uh, I also have a podcast called rad love radio that uh, comes out monthly with, and we talk about body liberation and all the things that come along with that. So we've had a couple uh of my uh, colleagues on there. Uh, somebody else who, uh, Jen, who runs Fat Girl Book Club. Uh, if you haven't heard or could tell, I'm a really big book fan. Um, and then uh, also we just finished up a three-part series on birth and body liberation. So if that's something that interests you, including my birth stories in there, uh, if you'd like to go give that a listen, I'd love it. And we are on Patreon to help support and pay uh, my guests. So if that's something that interests you too, get some cool swag uh, for Rad Love Radio at Patreon. And I will give all those links for the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're working on so many cool projects and I can't wait to delve into all of them. <laughs> oh, um, great. And hopefully everybody who listens will fill out that survey for the Academy of Nutrition yes, and Dietetics. Because again, this is this is how we make change. You know, it's mm -hmm. not the most efficient system, but it's what we've got to work with. And right. we have to we have to let our voices be heard so we can have that change. Absolutely. Um, so thank you so much for sharing, Amy. It's been an absolute delight to have you. Um, and yeah, I, I look forward to seeing what else you come up with. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Of course. As one of the top affiliate marketing companies worldwide, ShareASell helps connect businesses with the consumers who want their products. If you're interested in making money by promoting the brands you love, or you have a business and want to increase your sales, ShareASell can help you reach your goals. Click the link in this week's episode description to learn more. Poopery is dumping the shame around the things we all do. That's right poop. Poopery delivers quality products made with natural essential oils that eliminate funk and leave things smelling better than you found them. Just spritz the bowl before you go, creating a barrier on the water surface that traps the number two odor below. Proceed with your business as usual and all anyone will be able to smell is a refreshing blend of natural essential oils. It works like magic, as simple as spritz, poo, sniff. It's discreet and easy to bring on the go, so you'll never again have to worry about using the bathroom when out shopping or at a friend's party. Click the link in this week's episode description to browse the many products Poopery has to offer and get rid of the funk in your life.